The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Philip Kotler, author of Marketing 6.0, The Future is Immersive. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where every Friday I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book. This show has been named one of the top marketing podcasts by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, and has millions of downloads and listeners in over 185 countries. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, connect and message me on LinkedIn, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And to make sure you never miss an episode, you have a few options. The best way is to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, or go to marketingbookpodcast.com and sign up for email notifications. Or if you're on LinkedIn, find the Marketing Book Podcast page and click the subscribe button and maybe meet some of your fellow listeners. All right, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Dr. Philip Kotler to talk about the book he has co-authored with Hermawan Kartajaya and Iwan Setiawan, Marketing 6.0, The Future is Immersive, published by Wiley. Philip Kotler is Professor Emeritus of Marketing at the Kellogg School of Management, Northwestern University, where he held the S.C. Johnson & Son Distinguished Professor of International Marketing. He's one of the world's leading authorities on marketing, widely regarded as the father of modern marketing, author of over 90 books, recipient of numerous awards and honorary degrees from schools around the world, and voted as the number one guru in management in the list of top 30 gurus of management, 2022. The Wall Street Journal ranks him among the top six most influential business thinkers. He holds an MA from the University of Chicago and a PhD from MIT, both in economics. Dr. Kotler has an incredible international presence. His books have been translated into more than 25 languages, and he regularly speaks on the international circuit. And interesting fact, he's 92 years old. Dr. Kotler, congratulations on Marketing 6.0, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Doug, it's always good to be interviewed by you, and uh, I'm looking forward to this talk about uh, the new book that I just came out with, Marketing 6.0. Well, terrific. I'm honored to be able to talk to you again, and particularly about this. And this is the fifth visit you've made to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I'm grateful for that, and so are the listeners around the world. And only a few other authors out of about 350 on the show have been on as much as you have. But I should say, you are, by an order of magnitude, the most popular guest based on, if nothing else, by the number of downloads <laughs> your interviews generate. So I thank you for that. Good. Thank you very much, Doug. And I enjoy you as one of the top broadcasters and always ready to talk about new things with you. Well, thank you. Now, I did have to ask one question, because uh, you know, I interviewed you a few years about, ago about your uh, autobiography, and I'm a 
like so many people, I know a lot of trivia about Dr. Kotler. And you were an undergraduate student at DePaul University for two years and were then accepted without a bachelor's degree into the master's program at the University of Chicago. Is that correct? Yes, because I started to uh, want a career as a accountant and lawyer. And uh, DePaul was a very good school for that. But as I thought about things, I wanted to get more basic. And, and the field of economics always intrigued me because it, it answered questions that are important. How do we create wealth and how do we share wealth? But I found after a while, it doesn't talk very much about how its wealth is shared so much as how it is produced. And I also found that uh, the idea that uh, the um, man is a rational man, by the way, they didn't say women, they said uh, in, in the male form, and it knows full information and makes very intelligent decisions on brands. And, and, and you know, that model is so obsolete that I even... I never left economics, but I decided to uh, uh, that I I could get more realistic with marketing because in marketing we treat the whole human being who's not only intelligent but emotional, and and uh, all that has to be brought out if we're going to try to understand human behavior and economic behavior. And they're not rational either. That's well. Uh, there's uh, maybe twenty percent rationality and eighty percent emotion. Not only in the decisions of the consumer, uh, who's who drives often is driven by habits, but also the CEOs of companies. They are emotional too. If you're going to face a multi-million dollar decision, you're going to be nervous about it, and your mind as a CEO. Uh, is in an emotional state, worried about the risk and everything else in making the decision. Yes. So you never got that bachelor's degree. And I'm just curious, when you got to the University of Chicago, did Milton Friedman give you grief about that? Oh, yes, but it was a wonderful grief because uh, I, I sat in his class twice because not that I didn't get an A the first time, but because uh, he's always changing and growing as a thinker, and I wanted to hear him a second time. But, you know, it's the old economics. It's the free market economics. It's one that hates government getting involved in the economy. And I had to uh, redress things by going for my PhD uh, at MIT, where uh, the uh, more Keynesian economists, Paul Samuelson Mm -hmm. and Robert Solow, again, also Nobel Prize winners, were going to correct my misinformation from from Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman wasn't always that way, though. He wasn't always a, a free marketer, was he? No, he was a free marketer very much, and he thought that uh, uh, government is the cause of our problems. Oh, I thought earlier on he was more of a, like you said, a Keynesian. No, he was never a Keynesian. He was anti-Keynesian. Yeah. Okay, because I I do remember that in World War II, not that I was around then, but he helped to invent the payroll withholding tax system that we still enjoy (laughs) here in the United Uh, States. well, if we do, yes, that's true. Uh, he that that's just normal work to be done, and he did it. But uh, the same at the same point, he had a lot of followers. But uh, the business community practiced neoliberal mar- uh, economics, 
And that's where we got uh, the the British woman. You remember? I'm trying to call her name. Margaret Thatcher? Uh, Margaret Thatcher mm-hmm. was very much a Friedmanite, too, mm. about uh, putting, you know, pounding heads together and getting, making money, making as much money, and, and no social responsibility, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let the uh, people who um, get the profits, namely the investors, decide who they want to support. Don't make the company a uh, decision maker in, in charity. Yes, and we're going to talk about a couple of your other recent books here, and that some of that may come up uh, as well. Let's get in. Let's jump into uh, the book. Let me ask you a, a few questions about a few of the chapters. But first, Marketing Six Point is the fourth book in a series. So before we talk about this one, could you recap for listeners who may not have read them the the highlights of the previous uh, three books: Marketing Three Point Oh, Four Point Oh, and Five Point Oh? Yeah. All right. It all started with Three Point Oh in which we discuss what 1.0 marketing would be and 2.0 and 3.0. So we never wrote about 1.0 or 2.0, but we uh, we designed what it is in the book 3.0. Uh, 1.0 would be just old-fashioned uh, marketing where you uh, create a product and you advertise it and price it and then it, you sell it. Uh, 2.0 got to be a little more interested in uh, some social responsibility. Um, And 3.0 almost went all the way that maybe a few companies are uh, totally devoted to be in the pursuit of not just money, but of creating a better world. So 3.0 had that concept uh, 2.0 uh, wanted money-making mixed with some social responsibility, and 3.0 wanted companies to be doing the right thing by making the right products that are good for people, and so on and so forth. Now, um, the next book came out, 4.0. Why? Because we noticed that the uh, a new whole system was coming into being. It was called the Digital Revolution. And, you know, it's a zero-one that we could represent um, text and uh, and pictures and images and everything else using digital, the digital system. And, I, and it was very important to convey to business readers what is going to be possible, the many wonderful things that will be possible with digital thinking, and that they should actually move their more or less mechanical analog systems into the digital world. And we we make the argument. That was for 4.0. In 5.0, we wanted to put out a, martyr, a, a model of how to uh, conduct the customer journey, how to map customer journeys, what do, cust- what do prospects who haven't bought your, your brand Go, what do they go through? They go through five steps, which we call the five A's. Uh, and they finally, if we ever get a prospect into being not only a customer, but a a top customer, a customer who loves our company and our brand and is an advocate, and every, every company uh, should aim to have some customers who love the company and brand so much 
that they become our marketing people, basically. Mm -hmm. They're even more effective than our salespeople because they're not coming out of a being paid to broadcast us. Right, and they're more effective than anything we might say as a company. Oh, word of mouth is so much more uh, attend, attended to than, than anything salespeople often say. So uh, that was 5.0. We wanted a whole model of how we can grow our business. Then 6.0, which is uh, the book that just came out, is there because we believe that Besides there being a real world that we all live in day after day, there are other worlds being created, which we use the, the word a metaverse, and meta means above uh, uh, or more than, a, a metaverse. Now, there's not one metaverse. And let me give you a sense of the metaverse. Many years ago, I joined a, a thing on the internet called Second Life. Mm -hmm. And Second Life involved my um, getting a, a costume because those who, who joined Second Life as individuals, they had to either be themselves, but they often wanted to sort of get a disguise, and we call it an avatar outfit, uh, and they could be a uh, more handsome than they normally might be. They may be, they're in a costume, basically. Mm -hmm. They're not known for who they actually are. And then as an avatar, you meet other avatars, male and female. You may flirt, you may uh, uh, interact uh, and join projects. In fact, on, on, on Second Life, there were some projects going on, uh, some games were being played. Uh, sports was of great interest, fashion shows. And um, it turns out that um, uh, I even uh, noticed that some people were uh, paying for property or paying using a currency where they could buy a home because there was someone selling a home. Mm -hmm. and, and the home was a design uh, uh, to which they could add furniture. Uh, the furniture being bought from some other vendor of furniture. And the whole thing was just a, an unusual experience of being able to be on another planet, in a sense. In other words, a metaverse is a area where a lot of people are interacting, and they may be watching programs, playing games, they may be running projects, they may be building their life and their home and so on. And they're buying and selling too. Now, this actually is what has happened. Uh, namely that in 6.0, we wanted to talk about two types of metaverses, uh, those that are centralized and those that are decentralized. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, a decentralized metaverse is not being operated by any one governing system. It is, uh, it's, it's free. It, people did get together, and they are, uh, there are rules, of course, but they're broad rules, and they can interact in all kinds of ways. And uh, whereas a centralized uh, one usually is done because maybe uh, they want to focus basically on game playing or something else. Now, no, now notice this, that 
the internet itself is being used uh, to play games, uh, poker, uh, um, to uh, uh, all kinds of games. That, and in a sense, we have all metaversed into uh, things even before there are metaverses with avatars, metaverses with currencies. By the way, the currency is usually Bitcoin or one of the other currencies, which is a f kind of a, a phony mar a currency that is being used. You, you buy some of that artificial currency and you pay for things you want when you're on the metaverse and you um, get the things you want. Uh, so this is an intriguing concept. It's so intriguing that Facebook and, and Mark Zuckerberg uh, you know, uh, changed the name of his firm from uh, Facebook to Meta, mm -hmm. uh, basically, uh, believing that that's an unexplored world. So one of the things to remember, there are going to be several different metaverses, uh, and they're not related to each other. They're just creations in a sense, where some people might find, uh, oh, I like uh, this particular metaverse because they run fashion shows, they run concerts. And, and so on. Now, what that really means is you're putting on a, uh, spectacles or glasses and you're um, getting an experience. And the, the central point is that the metaverse is an opportunity to create new experiences that people haven't had. Yes. Some of you, of the listeners, know that there were always opportunities uh, increasingly to experience let's say Yellowstone National Park you've never gone there but you want to know what it's like so you put on these glasses because there's been prepared a um, an, an input that will just make yourself feel you're right there walking through the park or you may want to walk through the human body uh, starting with the stomach or whatever else because one can create a lot of uh, fictions and semi-fictions about the places and and that's not unfamiliar. So this whole possibility of immerse, immersiveness, you're immersing into new experiences, is what the book is about. Let's step back for a moment and just clarify a couple definitions. You write that meta-marketing is the next stage of omni-channel marketing. And before we talk uh, about all the foundations, uh, in terms of multi-channel and omni-channel marketing, yeah. which I think some use synonymously, could you explain what is multi-channel and omni-channel marketing and, and why do marketers consider omni-channel a step up from multi-channel? Okay, so we start with the vision of a, uh, of a small company having only one channel, let's say. It makes a product and sells it at through a retailer, okay? Mm -hmm. So the retailer is the only channel of that company, but maybe they find out that this brand also could be put in vending machines. Okay, so you could either get the brand by going to a gro uh, retail supermarket, let's say, or through a vending machine. It may be a candy bar, for example. Mm -hmm. So that's already two channels. Now, maybe they also are approach, uh, let's say, where the gas stations, and they notice that gas stations are not only selling gas but they're also uh, serving ice cream and soft drinks. 
So that's a third channel. So we get to the word multi-channel easily, that there may be from one to maybe 10 different channels that where your product could be bought. Okay, now normally they grow separately and you have... You appoint someone to manage the um, the gas station channel, right? And another the food uh, uh, supermarket channel. Now, but there's no coordination, and if there's no, in other words, each one is being maximized for what it is. But but they may each give a different message to the consumer. Uh, one message may one the, the retailer may be advertising a special discount on pri- price. But the gas station channel is not talking that way. Mm-hmm. So the movement from multi-channel to omni-channel is a movement toward coordinating the brand work of all those separate channels, so they are consistent in the. So any cons- consumer will get a picture of the brand and the same brand picture, whether they're buying their product from channel one, two, three, four, or five. Then at that point, we say. Th- it's become an omni-channel, okay? Right, and I in the book, it was I had kind of chuckled to myself, but it, it's almost like you were writing that suddenly companies were realizing <laughs> that their customers were actually using more than one channel to make a, <laughs> a purchase decision. <laughs> what a light bulb! Uh, no, 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 no. It was not. The decision is made in each channel, period. But whether you want to coordinate the imagery. About the brand, uh, you, you want to move to omni-channel, right? And none of those channels are the metaverse yet, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, so we go from one channel to multi-channel thinking to omni-channel thinking to meta thinking, which is the creation of some new channels which are not in real time. The meta marketing, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the cornerstone of, of Marketing 6.0. Yeah. So to give folks a sense of the recipe, there are several building blocks that are organized into what you have in the book is just three layers. And the, the, the bottom layer is the technological enablers, and the second is the environment, and the third is the experience. So just to give folks a sense of what's in those three layers, what are some of the key elements in those those three things? Well, uh, yeah, the layers were the introduction, part one. The second was the marketing uh, enabler and environment. And the third is the uh, marketing of experience. Uh, it's a 10-chapter book, really. Uh, I want to enlarge, however, the thinking. Uh, for example, let's say that I want to I'm an automobile company, and I want to create a brand, a new new kind of car, uh, even before the Tesla came around. Uh, in fact, let's say I created the Tesla, but I haven't sold any. I, I'm, in fact, it's only an idea. Okay. Um, wouldn't it be silly to take the idea and then build a factory to make that car and then find out whether the car is going to be bought? Yeah, that sounds like the Ford Edsel approach. <laughs> right, that's right. The Edsel failed because, well, for more than for many reasons. In any case, so it's a smarter thing to design the car on the computer. And, you know, computers are very good. Uh, you, you can make a picture of every aspect from any point of view. But you design uh, the car, but design it really 
on the computer as a something that does exist. And if a person would put on these special glasses, they can see themselves actually walking over to that car. They see it in its color and form. They open the door. They go in and, and sit down. They then start the car. And they drive and the, they hear the engine going and, and they're getting a feel for the car. They saw, the, they see the panel and everything. Now, all of that is a simulation. It doesn't exist. But what you do afterwards is ask everyone who went through that, that piece of, that glass view and experience, uh, any interest in that car. Now, the hope is almost everyone who you, invited loves it and they even say does it exist i want to i want to buy a car like that and you didn't have to build a clay model of it either you didn't put a cent in except the the money for the cost of uh, modeling it in the computer mm -hmm. okay so it's it's in it's in it's in a metaverse in a rough sense it's not around it's not physically there uh, okay so now you can uh, have confidence or, or, or you find out you shouldn't make that car, which is fine too. Okay, that's, that's, that's what we're after. In, we were trying to create what we call immersive experiences for customers. Now, let me give you some, another example or two. Um, what if uh, a person wants to, um, he has a home, and he's got a living room, and he wants to buy a good sofa for the living room. Uh, he hasn't, uh, and so he has several uh, sofas in mind, but he doesn't know which one would look best with the other furniture in in, in the room. Well, it's quite possible for a to put on the computer a uh, screen a picture of the furniture now in the room and then to place a picture sequentially first this sofa that i'm considering then another sofa that i'm considering and suddenly he or she has a view of whether it is perfect a perfect fit for that kind of living room right mm -hmm. uh, is that very different than what's happening in real time now where a woman sees some expensive clothes and she wonders what she would look like in the clothes well she should actually go into a, a small room and change and and go into the the clothes no she doesn't have to they can superimpose the, any of the clothing she's interested in on top of her body to see so she can get a picture of how well, let's, you know how this is done. You know that company that makes eyeglasses now? Oh, Warby Harker? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Apparently. That's just uh, what I was anyone. thinking about, yeah. Yeah, because I, how would I look? They have thousands of frames. How would I look? Well, they, if they had a picture of my face, I can easily see what any pair of glasses will look like on my face. Mm -hmm. So that, that that's a broader view. You know, I was talking earlier about avatars and and moving around in this kind of uh, new space but it's happening every day now people could experience how a product will work for them without much effort 
And that's very good because it helps uh, businesses uh, not uh, overmarket something that uh, when people actually try it on. Well, and it also makes buying so much easier. Rather than right. having to have all these tricky. sofas delivered to the house to see which one works. <laughs> right. We, we say that the smart marketer uh, practices frictionlessness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of buying, let's jump over to Chapter 4 about customer experience. And you wrote that there's a growing trend among marketers to redirect their focus from creating and selling products to delivering exceptional customer experience. Sure. And, I mean, people – I think a lot of people hear that. They know that. But that you, you write that the customer experience with a product from discovery to purchase and usage has become equally important as the product itself. So mm-hmm. it's not just a nice to have. But talk about the factors that are driving this, this real need, which has an economic impact of the customer experience. Uh, yes. Um Here's the thing, uh, it, it, to the extent that a customer is going to buy something by going to a store, and I'm separating that from just ordering it on the internet, the store is going to be an experience for good or bad, and we should recognize initially that it, it will come across as a multi-sensory experience, and you've got to manage that carefully. What do I mean by multisensorial? Uh, well, uh, for example, sight will be v- very important. They walk into the store. Is it colorful? Is it uh, attractive? Uh, sound will be important. Is it quiet or is, is there music being played? Can I touch the goods? Touch as a sense is important. Is, is there any scent going through the store? Uh, by a scent, I mean a smell of some kind, a pleasant one, I hope. Like so. in a Starbucks or an Apple store. Uh, yes, of course. So uh, the store, now I used to call this, I invented the term atmospherics uh, many years ago in an article. Uh, what's the atmosphere like f- that the retailer has created for you? Uh, for example, if this is a funeral parlor, you better have a very quiet place. Very, a lot of gray color and uh, no, no bright things happening. Uh, and it's very different if it's a, a food store, you know, or a department store. So it's a, it's a sense, it, 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 it should tap as all five senses if possible uh, and be very pleasant on all five sense, sense objects. Right, and one could argue that the the rest, successful restaurateurs have understood this for a long time. Oh yes, yes, that's right. They um, they prepare uh, a fascinating dish uh, with the right colors and this right sense and and so on. And so the, the thing is that uh, atmospheres are designed basically, and. And now we believe that the creativity that uh, we should expect our marketers ha- to have of imagining, of having imagination. We want our marketers to have creative imagination where they uh, know that much experience is routine and not even memorable. So the question is, how do you create memorable experiences? Now, let me give you an example. Uh, let's say I'm going in to buy a, a fish tackle. I, I want to do some fishing in Sarasota. Uh, 
but I've never fished before. Uh, so I go into a certain place, a certain store, and not only do I see tackles and fish equipment, I can fish there. Right. There, there, there's 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 a section of the store that has a pool and there are fish swimming in the pool and i could even cast my rod and throw it in and okay so th that makes the experience more memorable uh and uh and that's what we want m need more of in the future right and and, and also i think that the I mean, if I hear one thing, uh, uh, one, one among many things that companies complain about is the fighting commoditization. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, you yeah, can't. Right, right. You, I, I don't think your product can stay very differentiated for for very long, and and it probably won't have a very long life cycle. But if it's a if it's a great experience, particularly immersive, as you talk about in this book, it it, it just seems like a great wake up call. Because I think on the show I've had, gosh, at least a dozen books about the importance of the customer experience. And even even just selling different from your competition creates uh, often a better customer experience. So more and more companies are waking up to that. But this was a great affirmation. Uh, you know, I used to work on this question. How do you differentiate a commodity when it's very basic? Mm -hmm. Can you differentiate chicken? Can you differentiate bricks? Or concrete blocks, yeah. Or concrete blocks. And the fact is, yes, you can. And in different ways. Yeah. Uh, for example, with the, the 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 concrete kind of thing is why is it that in Mexico that the the leading concrete firm has all the business basically? Well, they have trucks moving around ready to pour, pour concrete at the at the time needed. They can reach a, a destination in twenty minutes because there's enough tracks trucks moving around to pour concrete within twenty minutes. So it isn't the concrete, is it? <laughs> it is the the, it's the, the delivery system is better, um, and the chicken. Look at what Purdue did with chicken uh, as a brand. I mean, first of all, we know that Mister Purdue looked like a chicken. First of all, <laughs> it and was featured in his advertising. <laughs> he cackled like a chicken. Right. He uh, he uh, just loved chicken and uh, chickens uh, as as family members. So that you know, he takes care of them, and you better nowadays that would brand. be called very authentic. <laughs> right. Yeah, he was trying to be authentic in mm -hmm. his love of the product. So you're right. Uh, we're in a world of increasing commoditization, but differentiation is always possible. In fact, anyone who says, and we have to go back to Ted Levitt, Ted Levitt would say you're just not thinking if you, you think that, oh, there's nothing that could be differentiated because it's a commodity. Mm. Yes, he he gets mentioned a fair number of times on the podcast, and he's mentioned in so many books. Particularly the uh, the article he wrote for the Harvard Business Review about uh, marketing myopia. Oh, that's his most memorable piece. But all of his articles were terrific. Uh, but but my, myopia is the idea that you're so close to what you're making, you don't realize it has so many other possibilities. Yes. Yeah, like the, the railroads thought they were in the railroad business when yeah. they didn't realize they were in the business of getting stuff from point A to point B. Exactly, exactly. They should have been in the airplane business when airplanes started to take Yeah, off. air cargo, shipping, uh, trucking. Yep, yep. Yeah. I see that yeah. all the time. So uh, one thing I want to mention is uh, that, and you've mentioned this a couple times in the book, that e-commerce 
only accounted for less than 15% of total resale sales in the U.S. in 22. Do you find that most people think it's higher than that? Yeah, I think there's an impression that it's higher. You know, during the uh, COVID period, uh, most of us couldn't go out and shop. So naturally, we thought that most of what we got was from online. And maybe it was higher than 15% online as a percentage of total sales. For a while. For a while. Yeah. But here's the thing. People are going back into stores now. But, you know, um, COVID is coming back. We hope it doesn't get to be the way it was before, uh, which was an awful loss of two or three good years for people and and deaths and so on. But the main thing is that um, uh, I think it will eventually get to be 50-50%. I think any any, uh, store that says, no, we're only going to – any company that says we're only going to sell through stores – and doesn't do a good job of orders coming on the internet with returns is going to make a mistake. People have expect good return possibilities as well. Mm-hmm. Well, for all those, I mean, the the book to me made the point that you cannot abandon the retail approach. People like that. And you can do so much more with it. And you even go into a fair amount of detail about how companies, smart companies, are and will create immersive environments in the real world rather than just in the, the virtual realms. And I, I, I found it uh, interesting that you use IRL versus URL. <laughs> I had never yeah. seen that, uh, that continuum in real life versus the uh, uniform resource uh, locator. Here's the thing that um, uh, impresses me. Um, companies generally uh, that are successful are going to stay doing what they're doing uh, and maybe um, say to us, uh, I don't, uh, the metav- metaverse is of interest, but I'm not going to make the investment. I mean, I first of all, they may say, uh, my customers aren't even up to that. They they haven't they haven't even heard of the metaverse. So why should I make any investment and 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 so on? Um, secondly, uh, my competitors are not offering metaverse dimensions to their offerings. So I'm going to just stay where I am. Now that's understandable. That's sure. understandable because there's plenty of ways to improve your company's performance without becoming a metaverse uh, extender too. Mm -hmm. But they better be careful even there that there may be, they're missing out on a a big opportunity frontier to demonstrate new types of experiences, immersive experiences. And maybe they're exaggerating the cost of preparing to offer those kinds of things. Uh, so I'm not asking a company to actually open a separate metaverse, which would be, you know, the one where I have to get an avatar and meet a lot of people and and they have to advertise that it's either decentralized or centralized metaphor and that it has land for sale. Mm-hmm. No, no. But be aware that um, we're if you especially are interested in yeah, the younger generation, and I'm talking about Generation Z and Alpha. Mm-hmm. Those those kids grew up with games galore and the internet galore, and they um, are ready for this. 
And if 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 your company is trying to win by catering in part to the youngest generation too, you should uh, start entertaining them uh, with the metaverse. They're ready for it. So if listeners can understand. There's a, a a lot of description of the different ways that you can make your retail experience more immersive. You talk about seamless transactions, contextual recommendations, interactive engagements, augmented discoveries, and pre and post experiences. And as I read through those in the book, I'm thinking I've already I've already seen most all of that in in probably the earlier forms at a lot of retailers. Very good. Yeah, we had that description of those possibilities. And um, what truly says that maybe companies are doing a little more of immersive work than they even recognize themselves. Yes. (laughs) It's like, uh, I don't know if you remember, back in the day, there was a palm olive dish soap commercial with Madge. And yeah, uh, she yeah. would be at a uh, at the nail salon, and she would have her customers with their fingers uh, soaking, and they she would describe it, and she'd say, "Well, you're you're soaking in it; it's already there." <laughs> <laughs> right. Sort of a tortured uh, description, but uh, I think the, the the tagline was, "You're soaking in it," and they, <laughs> and they don't even realize it. So yeah, yeah. Well, there's I guess still a little bit of a disconnect uh, between why people participate in the metaverse. And how brands are currently participating? Are there some some big differences between people why they're using it and what the brands are doing? Well, all right, there are some big brands that have already com- committed to metaverse work. Uh, for example, there's a thing called uh, Walmart Land, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Nike Land, Wendy Land. And I'm not sure land, I'm trying to remember if it was actually land, but there are places you could go now where you, Coca-Cola created a island Yes, on the metaverse. Great description in the book about all the things that Coca-Cola is doing. Coca-Cola! Right. And and you know what it might be? I mean, I haven't traveled to Coca-Cola land, but uh, I hear... That they might uh, have a fashion show uh, for young people, probably uh, on clothes that they could wear and while drinking their coke or something, uh, and maybe f- um, games they could play. So here's the thing: so a big company like uh, or like Nike Land, Nike, which, which which is so much into great sports material and and activity. Um, they they I have I don't have the numbers of of how many people have visited Nike Land, um, but that would be worth finding out uh, because if if the numbers are few, Nike will probably close it down because there's some expense in managing you know Nike Land mm-hmm. as a metaverse. Um, uh, but we do know that some leading companies have bought real estate in one of the in a, in a metaverse they actually uh, you know even if the metaverse that was created has um, the new uh, what we call cryptocurrency uh, it it can be turned into uh, a ratio of the real currency so so you you go on Nike land to buy something let's say you see a very attractive um, uh, outfit or a pair of shoes 
uh, and you want to buy those shoes, and you're 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 an avatar. You're you, but you you want to buy those shoes, and that may really mean that you're gonna you've seen them, so you're that's going to be mailed to you, and 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 you either pay in cryptocurrency that has an equivalent value in actual dollars, which is real currency, mm-hmm. uh, and so on. But the point is that I remember hearing about um, one person who has created a whole shoe store with shoes never seen before, uh, and that the visitors to that metaverse who have an opportunity to buy any of these newly conceived shoes with their colors and sizes and so on that would actually be shipped to them. And this is such great this is such a great opportunity for the shoe manufacturers to like you said earlier to test test, test it out see what see what the the reaction is. You know it reminds me of a fast food place I went to few years back with my son when he was younger, back before he got his driver's license and dad was no longer cool. But there was a Coke machine in the place, and it had all these different buttons where you could uh, mix the different flavors, and they were all Coke products. Mm-hmm. And you could you could test out like uh, vanilla Coke or vanilla Coke with a, cert- a certain other flavor. And I just thought that was brilliant because Coke is able to capture all that data and say, wait, did anybody realize how popular this particular flavor is? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> another, that's a new brand. That's yeah. That's another brand. And you know, um, I always said Coke reaches everyone. And wouldn't it be good if they could have a health aspect to uh, uh, something added to a Coke that also is good for health because what you're really getting is just sugar and water mm, mm-hmm. but uh, it would be a delivery it would be a secret delivery system for health <laughs> just sneak it in there don't let them yeah. know well dr yeah. collar if readers took only one thing away from the book just one thing what would you hope it would be i think the the basic thing to uh, uh, understand is uh we're in a world of commoditization Mm -hmm. and therefore your product is not much different than your competitors products and you've got to always figure out uh, differentiation Uh, and you're going to get a differentiation by making a heavy investment in um, uh, some of your people being innovative and imaginative uh, and coming up with new ways to differentiate what you offer from the competitors Uh, so um, and it's going to take the form of creating new experiences not normally available when you buy x or y or z so that's the message of the book if you're looking if you're right now a business that is is not gaining and maybe even losing out to other competitors certainly always watch what the gaining competitors are are doing but and maybe you'll find that some of the gaining ones are moving into the digital world faster and and with people who have more imagination and so on uh, now this gives me a chance to mention uh, another book i wrote recently called entrepreneurial marketing which was featured and- on the marketing book podcast thank you very much Yes, of course. I remember. And I'll include a link to that interview at this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. Yeah. And that makes the point very much that you not only have to have good 
uh, marketing people uh, who do their jobs well, but some of them should be especially entrepreneurial and noticing new opportunities. You know, it's one's life is very busy just doing the, the normal things as a marketer, and you haven't got time to imagine brand new businesses you could move into and so on. But you should have a few people who have the time to imagine other things you can do. Just watch Google. You remember how Google always offered um, uh, its people um, 20% of their time could be done on what their people want to work on mm-hmm. as opposed to what they're told to work on. I seem to recall 3M had a, a program like that as well for innovation. Oh, yeah. that And that certainly explains uh, the fact they have invented so many things. Mm-hmm. That, that's what their business is about. Yeah. Well, back to what you said about the experience. I, I can't resist. I just want to re- I just want to strengthen that even further with two quotes from page sixty, where, as I touched on earlier, there is a growing trend among marketers to redirect their focus from creating and selling products to delivering exceptional customer experience. And on the same page, the customer experience with a product from discovery to purchase and usage has become equally important as the product itself. So is there one thing a listener could do today to get them sort of thinking in the right direction about your book, perhaps while they're waiting for the book to arrive? Yes. uh, I think they should sit down and um, uh, figure out what their strategy really has been, uh, of which they're probably not fully conscious of. Of course, Mm -hmm. there was a document they released. This is our strategy. Uh, They tell their CEO and so on. And it's probably in a dusty binder on the shelf. Right, and obsolete by now. But they might also uh, ask uh, for pictures of the chief competitors' strategies and uh, notice uh, uh, who's who's winning and who's losing Mm -hmm. and why. Uh, uh, And and if they are asked the question by any of their customers, uh, are are you doing anything different and exciting that I, I should know about? Uh, they should have answers to that because uh, normally they don't have the, the anything exciting to, t- to talk about uh, because uh, – but, you know, these, these younger people are caught up in a world where games and uh, competition uh, – you know, they're watching TikTok and so on and they're getting very, very mature at an early age. In fact, many of them want to become innovators. Uh, they're going to go to business. When they get to business school, they want to major in innovation or something. So um, that's a good sign, by the way, if in fact more of the younger generation is entrepreneurial too. Mm-hmm. So the company, uh, they, w- they will be attracted to companies. Look, one of the problems is how do we attract real talent to our company? By showing that we value creative thinking in our company and uh, and and if they can do it authentically they'll they'll have their they'll be prime prospects for those uh, young people to join those companies yes and if they're inauthentic they'll be you'll, they'll see them coming uh, from a country mile <laughs> yeah you can't you can't stop bad news from flowing right well are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading uh, yes, uh, the book uh, I work, I'm working with um, V. Kumar 
um, who's now in Canada, and he's just one of the brilliant new marketers around. Uh, many, many scholarly articles, but we've uh, worked on this book called Transformative Marketing that will come out. Uh, it's all drafted now. It will come out in the late uh, 2024. Mm-hmm. There, we, we have eight chapters on eight new technologies. And the first one is artificial intelligence, a whole chapter on how that's going to change business. Mm-hmm. Second chapter is sounds like the same. No, but it's generative AI, mm-hmm. namely the new chat GPT. And, and the that's where the real revolution is going to come from. And we wanted a whole chapter on using that. The third is what we call machine learning, because a lot of people who work with data they want to learn what the data offers as insights into customer behavior. And you do it by uh, basically machine learning. The machine goes and reviews all the data and comes up with some findings that hopefully are insightful. And the fourth is uh, familiarity with IoT, uh, the world of um, internet and technology. The the, the world, the, the whole... The spectrum of sensing objects, you know, just like our thermostat in a home keeps a, a, a room hot or cold, cool. You're collecting data, and yeah, that's, you touched on that in the book. Well, you, mm-hmm. You're walking to, to your home, and, and you can click on something right before you get there, and the door will be openable, uh, or your car door will open. Uh, so the the IoT world and what's happening there. Then the next part is to talk about uh, drones and where they're going to uh, make a difference in delivery, particularly. You know, you've heard that um, uh, Amazon is is thinking of dropping some products off mm-hmm. with drones. And then there's the whole robotic world of what can you, what can robots do in the home, in the store. Uh, we have a whole chapter on that. And um, so we, we cover basically eight developments uh, thoroughly about, with lots of data on what actual companies have done with each of these developments. And I'm excited about the book called Transformative Marketing. Oh, that's terrific. Well, I know a guy that hosts a podcast about marketing books, and uh, that might be a good podcast to come on to to, to talk about the book. So good. I'm, I'm kidding. The door is always yeah. open to you, Dr. I know who, who you're. I know who you're thinking of. <laughs> yeah. He, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but his guests are phenomenal. So, yeah. you know, there's a, a book that's uh, going to be on the show pretty soon by Dr. Eric Siegel, and it's called the AI Playbook, and he delves into um, some of these things. And it was interesting because he explains there's a lot of confusion out there, there's a lot of hype, and I think that the book you're working on hopefully will address some of that and, and make people not quite so frightened, help them realize there's great opportunities, and help them use the, <laughs> the correct words. Well, more, more of our life will be guided by what we call algorithms. Yeah. And an algorithm is right out of AI, but it's really a set of rules that are better because they were learned through machine learning that uh, do a better job of deciding whether helping a bank decide, should we make a loan to that customer or a college? Should we admit that applicant for our college? So, so much more decision-making will be done. Normally, it was done by experienced people who who learned but didn't necessarily 
have a, a an explicit model, but they but we could trust their sense. But now we can take in their ex, their inexplicit model, study it, and make it even better into an algorithm. That then and we don't need them to make the decision anymore. Now that has uh, some scary prospects. In other words, you didn't let me go to your college because you didn't even decide on me. You left it to an algorithm. Well, this college says, yes, but we've tested that algorithm and it's really bringing to us primarily the best students for us. Mm -hmm. Well, there are biases in algorithms too that we have to worry about. But uh, the world is moving very much to that. Now, do we move to a world eventually where... Uh, there aren't, all jobs are run by machine, by robots, by algorithms. What do we do? So right now I'm going to be uh, thinking of very much what a world would look like which has no work. Hmm. Kind of scary. Yeah. Well, another book idea. But speaking of other book ideas, you have two other recent books. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about those. One of them was from 2021, My Life as a Humanist, and the other is Regeneration, the Future of Community in a Permacrisis World from 2023. Uh, yes. Um, the one about um, my uh, life as a humanist. You know, humanism is the philosophy of trying to conduct yourself and hoping others do too, to make life better for more people. A better world, basically, not just for yourself, not just for your family, or just for your nation, but f- believing that well-being and happiness are two of the most well-worthwhile goals in life, and you want to contribute to that. So I have several chapters, and since capitalism ex- affects well-being and happiness, good or bad in certain ways, and I have a whole chapter on on how capitalism could even work better than it has been working. Uh, Which you've written chapter. quite a bit about. Yeah, I wrote a whole book on um, mm-hmm. the the problems. It's not to find something to replace capitalism. It's how to build a better capitalism, one closer to the Nordic capitalism in Sweden and Denmark and so on, where the where there's there's no poor people basically why should a nation ever have how why should a rich nation ever have poor people uh but then i had a, another book on democracy and uh how do we get better government to do the right things and not to be right now locked into such terrible opposition that they don't even the two sides don't even talk to each other mm-hmm. So, uh, but uh, the the thing is, the book on um, my human, my life as a humanist, has about eight or ten chapters, and they take systems and their the effect of these systems. And the other book is called Regeneration, and uh, it came out of uh, work we wanted to do to help s- small towns and cities that are getting. Sm- are losing population. Mm-hmm. You can, even in the United States, you can drive past many places where they're small towns, they had a good working culture, they had a good company that was running in that uh, town, and now that company left that town, uh, and there's not much going on, and it's a dying s- suburb, it's a dying uh, uh, town. 
what can we do? What, how, how do we generate, how do we regenerate places to be alive again? Uh, what is it, how do you get the right people to work together? And that's, that would be the bankers, the industrialists, the, um, the educators to rebuild their community. And we, we, we focused on what's going on in Palermo, Sicily, which is a wonderful city that has great treasures, but could be dying. And we want to show all the approaches that are available to regenerate and save places and bring them back to life. Well, I appreciate you working on what seem to be such intractable problems. And it's great to know someone is doing that. Well, I haven't mentioned even my new book that we're working on called The Wicked Seven. And The Wicked Seven. Oh, right. Yeah. I think we've. Yeah. Talk about that. No, I won't. I'll just say that hate is one of the wicked, wicked seven. How do we get. How do we replace hate with love in a world? Like, uh, how do we. How do we get rid of corruption and power uh, drives uh, so the world works more fairly with people? And how do we have, how do we save the planet? How do we uh, feed the world? Um, And so on and so forth. So we have lots of diagrams in that book because we're finding out that the one wicked problem seems to affect the other six wicked problems. And it is, and that many solutions are so partial that they don't work. They do not consider the full factors that are operating to make that problem what it is. And that's, that's our hope with uh, the Wicked Seven, that we come with solutions and systems for uh, making things work better. Yes, and I'll include a link to that site, which is wicked and then the number seven dot org. And you. there's a, a great explanation of all that's on there. I think we've we've uh, touched on that in in the past. And people need to understand that I I work with others on many of these books. I've written many books myself, but others too uh, involve bringing talent together to work on on something and and that's uh, for example 6.0 i work with uh, uh the the two people who you mentioned uh, mm-hmm. and they've been wonderful uh we learn from each other and the book gets better as a result right and you've written with them in the past so uh yeah it's like getting the band back together yeah, right. <laughs> well, I wonder what 7.0 is going to look like. I can't wait. I can't wait. But please slow down, will I'll, you? I'll let you know. Uh, I'll let you know when that happens. Okay. Well, thank you. I posted a picture of this book on LinkedIn this week to let listeners know what books are coming, and there was an overwhelming response from the listeners. And a, a couple folks said, "Hey, I just bought." Marketing 5.0. <laughs> now, now you're telling me there's marketing 6.0, and I said, "Hey, you picked a quickly changing line of work. So uh, keep, yeah. keep up, keep up. It's it's a real challenge. So don't stop, don't stop." Okay, good. Well, at this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to everything linkable, including all the books that have been mentioned, the sites that we've talked about, and and so forth. The book is Marketing 6.0, The Future is Immersive. The authors are Philip Kotler, Hermawan Kartajaya, and Iwan Setiwan. Dr. Kotler, thank you very much for joining us again on the Marketing Book Podcast. 
Well, Douglas, it's always a pleasure to hear myself and you, <laughs> uh, because we are, we're thinking all along and, and new things come up, and I uh, always uh, look forward to any interview with you. Thank you very much. Take care.